Happy New Year and welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 136, the podcast where we discuss photography, videography and anything and everything that's got anything to do with any of that, with me, Kirsten Lutz. And in today's episode, we're taking a look at the year just gone and I'll take you through some of my favorite moments of 2022. So buckle up, grab a cold one and let's go right after this. But before we get started, let me just say a quick thank you to our sponsor, DVE Store. DVE Store's mission is to help you create better video and provide you with the tools necessary to explore your creativity. If you have any digital video equipment needs, whether that's camera equipment, audio gear or lighting and much more, you can check them out at dvestore.com. Thank you to DVE Store for the high def video. And of course, you can find a link to DVE Store in the description. So welcome and happy new year to the first Camera Shake podcast of 2023. I hope you had a good one. Um, I hope you're recovered <laughs> from whatever party you went to. Um, but in today's episode, we're going to go down memory lane. And we're going to have a look at my favorite moments of 2022. And when I say favorite moments, I have to tell you, this was extremely difficult. It was really difficult to narrow this down to, uh, you know, to 10 or so uh, favorite moments. Um, because it was such an eventful year, everything from you know uh, from celebrating our 100th episode to going to the photography show to having lots of guests on the um, on the show and so on, speaking to so many interesting people, um, it was an incredible year. And just narrowing that down so it fits into one episode, uh, that's, that was extremely difficult. So anyway, I'm going to take you through it, and without further ado, I'm going to start in no chronological order at all. By the way, um, I'm going to start with. Um, one of the episodes that that actually uh, I thought was was a real achievement for the podcast, and that was episode one hundred. So we we celebrated our one hundredth episode of the podcast with a bit of a bang. So have a look at this. This is episode one hundred. So this is episode one hundred of the Camera Shake podcast. We've made it. Um, we've threatened it from the very <laughs> we beginning. We did threaten it. Yeah. Yeah, but we've made it. It's episode one hundred. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, it it kind of is. I'm pretty sure we had. Big plans for episode 100. Yeah, back originally, in episode one. Oh, yeah. Back in episode one, I think. One or two, we were talking about like throwing a massive party with all of yeah. our guests. <laughs> Little did we know that um, it would actually only be now that it would be possible. And we didn't have time for a plan. Yeah, well. There you go. Exactly. So so instead, we have created a party atmosphere. Our own party. And Absolutely. as you can see. No expense spared. Yeah. All of our favorite things right here. <laughs> Burger King, party poppers. Oh, celebratory bar of dairy milk. In fact, should we crack that open? Uh, Let's not? crack that open, shall we? Why bar not? of dairy milk. Oh, but it didn't even extend to her cake. But there you go. We've managed to stick with it. 400 episodes. Some 400? No, 100. Oh, four, 100. Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes it feels like 400 episodes. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's probably what it is. Uh, I think, the, you know, the podcast was, was born at a time when we really had a lot of time on our hands. I mean, in fact... Like all the time. Like all the time, yeah. Mm. And, and of course, it was literally the thing that helped us, um, you know, pass the time in yeah. the first place. Yeah. And uh, you look back at it and you think, we had all that time. Why couldn't we make it look and sound better? <laughs> <laughs> You just get started and you yeah. improve it as you go. Set. Well, I said, I think it has. I mean, it has gotten yeah. 
lots of change over the last hundred episodes, right? Yeah. Last couple of years. Um yeah, sure. it's um yeah, we've gone through set changes. We've gone through uh well we were just talking earlier, weren't we? Um gone through thumbnail changes on the on on the YouTubes. Mm-hmm. Um we've gone through the way we've done the audio differently too. We've gone through the way we've we've finally had a guest in person. Oh yeah. Yeah, true. Um, you know, after having obviously needing to do it over Zoom and we'll still do Zoom going forward because a lot of our guests are out of this country. Sure. Um, you know, but it was nice to have Dave in person here um a few weeks back. Yeah. What was nice to Sorry, actually hi Dave. Hi Dave. It was it was actually nice to meet up with people. Yeah. You know, whether that was you know, when we met up with Dave in Wales, for example, or when we met people at the photography show. That was that was really the first time we were really, really out and about meeting lots yeah. of people. Yeah. Um, you know, that was fantastic. And I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to, to this year's photography show. You know, I know it's gonna be awesome. had, had we not had the opportunity to go to the photography show and, and meet um, a lot of our former guests and meet new people, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have been on uh, Dave's, Dave Clayton's podcast either. True. Well, yeah. there's another thing, of course. This, is, I mean, this is the thing. One of the things that, that has sort of amused me the most is actually that not only... Yeah, I mean, it's just just because we started this podcast, we found ourselves being guests on other podcasts mm-hmm. as well, which which was the most extraordinary thing, I think. Um, so feels weird, doesn't it? Well, I mean, it it's just um, it's you know what it shows is is that the world of podcasting is really very what's the word? It's like a family, you mm-hmm. know, of of um, of people, that, you know, who are into the same thing. You know, funnily enough, much like photography in general, much like photography, mm. yeah. And I think this is this is an interesting thing because it's like two, you know, two circles that kind of cross over, um, you know. And then you have basically you, know, you have people who are into photography, and then you have people who are you're doing podcasts, and and the photography podcast kind of thing is where it all kind yeah. of crosses over. Yeah. Um, and that's been yeah, it's been quite interesting to kind of get you know to get an insight into that. Into that world because when we first started, I mean, we didn't know that we didn't know the first thing about about podcasting, really. Didn't know anything about podcasting. Didn't know um, the, the guests that we eventually had on, and sure. you know, know many of them very well now. Um, yeah, the funniest thing yeah. about that was that literally, um, it was a matter of we just made a list, and the headline was something like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if. Hmm. We had this person on the show and this person on the show and, and so on and so forth. And then um and then slowly but surely, you know, a lot of that turned into reality, which was which was really phenomenal. You know, yeah, and when, so. when that when that list ran out, you know, we got we got Dave on and <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> So the next episode I've picked is episode ninety seven. And again, this was a first time for the podcast as well, because it's the first time that we had a guest actually live on the show in the studio, you know, with us. Um, And if you think about it, that was the first time since the beginning of the pandemic that that was, that has started to become possible. And that that was episode 97. So that means, you know, we're releasing an episode every week. So that was like 97 weeks into the pandemic. Um, And that just, that just shows you how long this whole thing's been dragging on for. But anyway, Dave came over and it was uh, he'd just come back from his first mission to the Arctic. And for those of you who've been uh, listening to the most recent episodes, uh, you know that we're following Dave on his second mission uh, to the Arctic Circle. Um, so 
this is really quite interesting because he'd just come back and he talked to us about his experience and what it was like to live in a van at minus 20, minus 30 degrees. Um, yeah, I'm freezing just thinking about it. Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 97, the podcast where we talk about photography, videography, and everything that's got anything to do with any of this. And in today's episode, this is a true first time for us uh, on the Camera Shake Podcast, because not only... Um, no, sorry, no, did we distract no, you? No. <laughs> oh, we're not stopping now. You better carry oh, on. Because I'm not cutting this. Right, let's, see, let's see what we're done. We're in it now. No, 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 we're, no, no, we're not cutting. No, 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 we're staying. Anyway. Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast. No, no, no. We just told you we're not cutting. <laughs> what were we thinking when we thought it would be a good idea to have a guest live on the show? I don't know. Were we drunk? <laughs> you should have picked well, we another guest. Oh. One that Nick wasn't going to flirt with. Uh, the last time we've seen you on the show was uh, back in August? Yep. In Wales. In yep. Wales. Where we camped. Where we camped. Do you remember? I, I've blocked it out. <laughs> it's all very camp, wasn't it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I think I was thinking more along the lines of Nick um, sleeping on a rock in in the middle of the woods in Wales with obviously Bigfoot roaming free. Obviously. And, um, yeah. Obviously. And it being his first ever camping experience. That's very true. And waking up in the morning and Kay saying, oh, it's fine. Yeah, it's pretty normal. I said, that's not normal. There's nothing normal about what just happened last night. And I'm I'm only talking about what I slept on. And That made it worse. It was. (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out after the tent goes down, Kay goes, oh, yeah. Look at that! What you were sleeping on? You sleeping on a massive rock. <laughs> yeah, and you had the nice lush green grass. Yeah, so, so the the tent was pitched halfway across a trail, and whilst I was on the grassy side of the trail, you were like on the like on on the the trail side boulders. of the trail. Yeah, yeah the boulders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was it was fun. good though. It was good. It was, it, good it was great. Mm, and today yeah. you are the what the meat between the camera shake sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. Feels good. Feels good. So you build your van out uh, mm. to withstand literally Arctic climates because that was yeah. the whole point of your yeah. of your adventure, right? Yeah, because it was damn cold. Yeah, I got down to minus forty degrees, and you don't need to convert that from Celsius to Fahrenheit because that is the <laughs> that's the point. Yeah. That's the point that the two temperature scales meet minus forty. When you're in those sorts of temperatures and you're that isolated, like it is in like you are in the Arctic and some of these places in Iceland and. Literally in the middle of nowhere, if it gets too cold, you die. Mm. It's it's really that simple, that straightforward. And that's not And on so your I had list. to no. no, it's not. Okay. <laughs> so I had to make sure that I was ready for anything to happen. And there was one time um in Finland where it got too cold, too mm. cold for the van. And I had to take the van into a workshop, into a garage mechanic, and um just say, look, I just put the van in there for like wow. six hours, yeah, to to warm it up, thaw it out because it was it was frozen. The oh, fuel Christ. lines were freezing. The fuel filter because the so diesel um, gels up when it gets too cold. It turns like gel, um, mm. even when it has additives that stop it from freezing. And then when that gelled up diesel goes through the system, it screws with the fuel filter. Um, it doesn't doesn't ignite anyway because it's diesel but it doesn't burn like it's supposed to and so you have all these problems and so um and also the the heater that i have in the back of the van runs on diesel so it, the mm-hmm. same thing happens in there so it got so cold 
for such a long period of time in Finnish Lapland that I had to take it into a garage just for a few hours to warm it back up, to defrost the van. It was that mm. cold. And this is this is with everything that I'd already done. The oil, all the fluids in the engine were all rated to Arctic conditions. Obviously, I'm using just pure fluids, no diluted fluids, because the water would have changed things quite dramatically. And um, all the way around, I've got insulation, 50 millimeters worth of insulation um, and thermal blinds, thermal curtains. Everything is in on my side when it comes to protecting myself from the cold. It was just that cold. I had to get rid of the van for six hours to warm it back up. See, I normally, I never Unreal. use antifreeze in my windscreen wiping fluid. I usually just use dish, you know, dishwasher liquid. Mm. That wouldn't work there. No, no. It wouldn't. Well, I, I had... Because you're I had six weeks where I didn't have <laughs> the ability to clean my windscreen. Right. Wow. Because it was just frozen. All the lines were frozen. Mm. And then in that same six weeks, I also didn't turn the heater off. So the heater, the diesel heater that heats up the back of the van, that was running constantly for six weeks, mm. day and nice. night. Wow. That was awesome. Now, my next favorite moment really happened in episode 114. Um, which was called Pim's O'Clock. We've gone from the extreme cold to the extreme heat because last summer, we, over here in the UK, we experienced an extreme heat wave. Um, it was incredibly hot for quite a long time and it's not really something we're very much used to over here in the UK. Um, so Nick and I decided to to take our gear, uh, go for a bit of a walkabout and set up uh, somewhere in a park near Windsor, I believe. Um, and in good old... British summer tradition. We found a, a bottle of pimps and a bunch of fruit lying around. Um, and the whole thing turned out to be quite fun. Have a look. And today we are, well, what? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I don't know. It's That's like, the biggest bat I've ever seen. That's like pterodactyl. Pterodactyl. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> obviously not in our usual set. Uh, we are, in fact, uh, somewhere. In Eton. We are, we are, because it's the hottest day of the year on record. Oh my God. Well, not, not only the hottest day of the year, it's the hottest day ever in the UK. Oh yes, of course, ever. Yeah, absolutely. The absolutely. hottest day ever. It was, uh, was it 40 something degrees or something? 40.8, I think they recorded yeah. at Heathrow. Give it some, something like that. Anyway. When we oh, set up, I mean, this hot. is like, we are now, it's nearly 9 p.m. and uh, it was still 30-something degrees when I checked last. So. I'll tell you right now, it's, uh, well, no, it's 27 now. 27, okay, so it's cooling down. Anyway, for well, that's only because it's been raining for the last <laughs> hour. So this is the first, the first rain. Of course, I mean, this is, a, this is our luck. You know, the one time we go outside, it starts raining and it hasn't, <laughs> yeah. it hasn't rained in, <laughs> I don't know. It hasn't rained in no, three no. weeks, four Crazy. weeks, something like that. Anyway, but here we are. Um, <clears throat> somewhere in Eton, and uh, because it's been such a great summer so far, we thought we'd celebrate. Oh, we're going with pims, haven't we? A glass of pims, cheers, man. Orange Ooh. and uh, what's that? Strawberry. British summer. There's, there's nothing better than you know a pint of pims in a uh, beaver town glass. <laughs> <laughs> beaver town glass. <laughs> anyway, well, so it has been hot, man. You've been keeping been... cool. Um, I've been trying to, I've been trying to, I've been mitigating the heat. Bye. 
Uh, we've done loads of different things. Um, you know, we we literally barricaded ourselves in. We did things like you know, we froze bottles of water and stuff like that. You know, um, which actually did work really well, especially at nighttime. Um, we uh, how does that work? So basically, you know, we we had lots of two liter bottles of of water that we froze, and then what you can do is you can take that and either you know, put it in front of a fan. So it basically cools down the air, you know, so you, you create your own little, yeah. your own little air conditioning. Yeah. Um, or you can just literally you know, put it, you know, under, you know, under your sheet or something like that. And you put it in the bed. So it just um, cools the whole thing down. I put it on my little table next to my bed and it was actually really quite, it was quite oh, nice. Yeah, it worked, it worked really well. So lots of different things. Um, you know, we kept, uh, kept all the windows shut, kept the shutters down. Um, you know, I kept the blinds down during the day and stuff like that just to keep the sun out. Because in my house, all of the main windows are south-facing, so we get the sun full blast for most of the day. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, um, it's been a battle. It was me against the sun, essentially. Did you win? I did. Downstairs I did. Upstairs not so much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we're, um, we're obviously out and about and... We do have an LED, uh, you know what? I'm gonna take a little photo of our setup right now so you can see, and I'll put this in afterwards. Yeah, take, take I'm gonna take it while we're on film. Take a shot look of the sky that. over there. Holy shit, look at that sky. That is quite something, isn't it? So I'm gonna take that so you can see what we're seeing right now. Right now. And I'm gonna talk over it. <laughs> can this I is... do it in an Attenborough voice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Can I like, Turn around and I'll just pick the bugs and shit out of your hair. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, so we're ob obviously we're outside and um, from that photo and I see we've got the got a camera, we've got a, uh, a ninja just so we can see a little bit larger uh, rather than the C70 screen and a uh, just a bog standard newer LED just shining on us, give, shining on us gives a little bit of something. Well, now, which the light is, however, changing rapidly. We should also mention that we've actually been here for about an hour and a half, and uh, you know, oh, true, the yeah. minute we rocked up, it was it just started pouring down. Yes, it did. You know, after three weeks, four weeks of no rain, or mm -hmm. something like that, you know. So yeah, it poured down. Anyhow, but it doesn't really matter because when it's like thirty-five degrees out, hey, I'm also thirsty. Ooh. We're out of drink. Oh, top up. Should we have a quick pause to get a top-up? Oh, here's the pause for the top-up. <laughs> refill! <laughs> Free refills. <laughs> well, I love this place. <laughs> I actually don't remember much about that episode, so it must have been good. Anyway, moving on. Uh, my next favorite moment, well, it's a bit of a double episode type of a thing because the other thing that happened um, last summer was that I got stuck in Germany with passport trouble. So we had to improvise and create a number of episodes via Zoom. Now, those were episodes 106 and 107. So I'm, I think I explained in the snippet what actually happened and how I came to, to be there. And whilst I was there, of course, I took the opportunity to photograph some cars because, you know, what else are you going to do? In Stuttgart, the home of the automobile. Today, we're actually podcasting across countries. Well, so this is this is a first, actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah, isn't yeah. it? 
it, yeah, it's a first. I mean, it's actually a first that we're like recording ourselves on Zoom as well, which we don't normally do. But in this particular case, this was really the only answer. Yeah. Uh, because for a variety of reasons, I find myself in the south of Germany today. And <laughs> we can go into the details of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, there are good reasons why, but the, in my opinion, there is one reason why you're there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what, yeah. what, what is that reason, Kay? <laughs> well, so I, I realized very late that my passport was about to run out. Um, in fact, I did a job last week in Amsterdam. Um, and in the run up to that, you know, when I was uh, checking in uh, for that flight, uh, I realized that my passport was only valid um, for a few more days. And so, um, and so, although actually, well, I mean, to be fair, I've been trying to get in touch with the German embassy um, for quite some time, and it's been it's been absolutely impossible to get through to anybody there. Um, and of course, you know, their reasons are Brexit and the pandemic. And I'm just thinking I probably sent most of the staff home or something. You know, I'm not sure whether anybody still lives there. <laughs> no idea. Um, but anyway, nobody's picking up the phone. Nobody's responding to uh, to emails there. So my only option was really to come to Germany. Uh, really at, you know, one minute to midnight <laughs> and, um, and, and get my passport renewed here, you know. Um, but what that means effectively is, uh, first of all, to jump through a whole ton of hoops, which is, uh, which is just mind boggling, uh, you know, in terms mm. of the paperwork I have to get together and stuff like that. And, uh, but also as from tomorrow, uh, I'm going to be stateless for a little while until until I get my you know express passport, my emergency passport, basically. Yeah. Um, and also, what that means is I won't be able to, as from tomorrow, I won't be able to travel back um, to the UK until I have you know travel documents. <laughs> so I'm kind of I'm trying to sort it out uh, right here, but I'm stuck at the moment. Yeah. So you are Tom Hanks in the terminal, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Does, yeah, that, yeah. does that make me Catherine Zeta Jones? Oh, it might do. I mean, a hairstyle, <laughs> you know. <it's... laughs> yeah. And you've got the same accent, so. One week later. Episode 107, we are still miles apart. We are. It's glorious. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> glorious. <laughs> you are still without a nationality, aren't you? Yeah, I am still, still fighting for my passport, that's right. Yeah. yeah. How long, uh, how long before you think it will be done? It's a good question. It could be any day, really. You know? Oh, God. Um, it's, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been rather complicated and God. hard wearing, you know. Imagine if you didn't have someone to stay with. Good God. This would be a very expensive, um, not entering it in your calendar mistake. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know, it's just a, it's a bit of a, bit of a nightmare. But you know, I think we're sort of getting somewhere. I mean, it's deadly. The funny part is, is that um, what it's what's delaying it is that the you know the local authority here needs to have some kind of you know declaration from the embassy in in London to say that I didn't already apply for a passport there because you know I could have applied for right. two different passports in two different places and then sold them. Understandable. The yeah. yeah. So it makes sense. But of course, you know, and so they haven't been lucky 
in getting in touch with anybody there, which is that is the whole reason as to why I'm here in the first Wait, place. So who are they getting in touch with? The UK government or no, no, the, the, the German, German embassy, embassy in London. The German embassy fantastic. in London. Fantastic. That's I know, so right? fantastic. <laughs> the system's not connected in any way. Well, you would have, I mean, you would have thought that they have some diplomatic ways in which they, you know, yeah. channels in which they get, but no, they just have, they have to send emails and send a fax, apparently. Fax and a letter. <laughs> Who remembers those? There was one thing that I did uh, this week, though, that was actually really fun. Uh, was over the weekend, we went to a place called Motor World in Stuttgart. Um, and it's right next to the uh, Mercedes factory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a, it's a huge, huge area that I believe used to be um, U.S. barracks at some point in the past. And it's it's like a huge, huge area, and they've um, it's all dedicated to cars, so mm-hmm. high end cars and like there's there's the exhibitions, you know, of all sorts of really awesome, awesome cars. I mean, everything from Ferraris to there was a Maybach there. Um, some classic 1920s Mercedes coupes and stuff like that. It was really, really, really nice. This, you know, McLaren have a shop there, and it's it just basically all the all the expensive brands are there: Lamborghini, Bentley, uh, Ferrari, whatever. Yeah, but but they also have this is really cool. They have these glass, like two-story glass cages. And you walk past and it looks like an exhibition, right? So let's say there'd be, for argument's sake, a Lamborghini in there, right? And then there's like a little sign with a photo and gives you all the data, like the horsepower and the this and that and whatever, yep. right? It's like, just like an exhibition sort of thing. But these things are not actually exhibition cages. They are private storage cages that you can hire. And if you don't have anywhere to put your luxury car, your sports car or your classic car or whatever, then you can hire one of those and um, you drive in and then basically either they stay on the ground floor or they sort of move them up. Um, and then your car turns into part of the exhibition. Mm. But actually for you, it's a, you know, it's a way to, to store your car, which I thought was awesome. Nice. <laughs> what, a, what a great idea. And there's some killer, killer cars in there. Yeah, Unbelievable, yeah. So you, um, you need a bit of cash to have a car like that that you can just put somewhere that you're, you know you're not going to touch. Yeah, and I mean, uh, one or two of them were empty. You know, officers sent a sign and they say like, "What's well, on, uh, you know, on tour at the moment or something like that." Or um, there's one, um, you know, like a souped-up VW camper van that's like been right. mega restored and souped up and whatever. Um, and that's that's been out, obviously. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it really, it's a, you you would have loved it. I mean, you would have absolutely mm-hmm. loved that place. Oh, well, but you know, bet. and it's all like they have um, as part of the exhibition, they have some really like classic. Um, gas pumps as well oh nice and uh the whole I like thing all that. Mm-hmm. yeah it's great yeah you would have absolutely loved it the whole you, thing is kind of set up like in that kind of ambience you know yeah uh, you'd like um so very close to me there's a place called brooklyn's museum and right next next to that that is also um so brooklyn's have um like they've got concord there mm-hmm. they've got um and then a whole host of cars and planes and you know things like like that and then right next door to that is uh, mercedes-benz world Ooh, so it's okay. got all the mercedes related yeah. stuff and they've got a track there as well that you can take cars out on and you know they do like wet tracks and all that to teach you how to yeah. drive uh like that very very cool you'd, you'd really and really enjoy that and the other thing you'd like that i go to i've been to last 
a uh, couple of years that they've been on is the Festival of Speed and the uh, Goodwood Revival down, in, oh, down yeah. at Goodwood. And that's just endless, endless cars, endless <laughs> yeah. and anything car related. Absolutely fantastic planes too. Yeah. So uh, you know, let's bring that back to photography. So the, the, one of the reasons we went there actually was because I was talking with, you know, my, my mum's um, partner, you know, we're talking about cars and he's really into cars and everything. And so, you know, we had a conversation about the car photography that, that we did over the last, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of years or something. And so he suggested, well, you know, why don't we go there and you can take some pictures of cars there. And I went, that sounds great. It's a great idea, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and of course I never travel without this <laughs> little Fuji X100. Um, and I kind of thought, but you know what, actually, this is probably all I need. Um, you know, and, uh, rather than doing this with light painting that we normally do, I kind of thought, well, I wonder if I can get something that looks equally awesome with this, you know, 24 megapixel digital camera. And, and so I thought about, um, a particular editing technique that I could utilize for that. And the photos uh, really, I think came out really well. And uh, because I've obviously prepared that, I will send them over to you and then you can, you can play them in. Um, but, and then I kind of thought, well, this is actually, is a really interesting uh, <clears throat> editing technique that we can, that we can talk about so, because I'm sure you know, some of the, some of our listeners and viewers uh, will be interested in, in how that works. And it's totally different from what we normally do. Um, but it has some really interesting aspects to it. And so the way it works is you essentially turn your image into a black and white image to start with. And, but not, you know, you can do that in a number of different ways. I mean, you could, you know, you could desaturate I know this it. technique. I know exactly what you're going to say. And it's so worth talking about. Right. It's such a cool way of doing it. So essentially, you know, for the viewers and the listeners, what you do is you, you turn your image into a black and white image. Um, and again, there are a number of different ways you could do it, but um, you don't use any of the standard methods. So, uh, yeah. you know, for instance, in Lightroom, and this will work in Lightroom um, and in Photoshop, especially in the RAW editor in, in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you could, in theory, just simply switch it to black and white, but you don't want to do that. Um, you could just simply fully desaturate it with a saturation slider. You also don't want to do that. What you actually want to do is go down into the, the U and saturation slider bit. And you simply take all the sliders, all the reds, all the oranges, all the blues and the aquas, the magentas and everything, um, and the greens and the blues and whatever. And you, you move all of them to, to the left. So you basically desaturate your image and turn it into a black and white image that way. What you do next is you simply now treat that image as a black and white image um, to start with. So you edit the contrast and, you know, you set, um, you know, you add, you add some crispness to it. And you basically, you know, hone in the, the exposure and the whites and the blacks and, and everything else, you know, crisp it up, give it a punch, you know, until you get to the point where it really looks like a really good black and white image. That's the first thing you do. Once you've done that, you go back to the HSL or the, the unit situation slide mm-hmm. a bit, and you basically bring each color back individually and you decide which one of those colors are really relevant 
for your image. So it might be, for example, that you have, you know, a blue sky in the background. So you bring some of the blue back, you might bring it back, you know, to, or to a fraction of what it was originally. You might want to um, change the hue of it, or you might decide to leave it out completely and sort of, you know, desaturate the, the sky. Or you might have some, I don't know, foliage in the background. So you might, you know, you might bring the greens back, but or not, you know, it might be distracting. What it helps you to do is to basically filter out any kind of color distractions that take away from the main subject of the photo, which in this case is a car. So depending on what the main color scheme is in the car. So for example, um, I, uh, so one image, for instance, is a Ford Mustang. The, the Mustang was uh, mainly black, but it also had like a, a yellow racing stripe. It's kind of yellow orangey, you know, type of thing. So the main colors in this image were basically orange, uh, but the, in the background, there was, uh, you know, there was a Ferrari, which is red. So by taking the reds out or by desaturating the reds quite dramatically, you'd really take away the distraction, yeah. um, of the object in the background that was bright red, you know? And so if really what it does is it helps you to not only, um, create like a really cool look, but it also, it just allows you to actually take out distractions, you know, by color only, because as we know, um, you know, if you color can, can very, very quickly, um, draw your eye away from the main yeah. subject. And Next so up, one of my all time favorite times of the year is the photography show at the NEC in Birmingham is such a great event. It's great because not only are all the manufacturers there and, you know, there are endless, endless um, numbers of stores or stalls even, you know, where you can play with uh, brand new equipment, the latest and the greatest, but you get to meet so many really interesting people. But that's not everything because it's also an amazing learning environment. There are a number of stages um, with with so many different speakers and no matter what type of photography you're interested in, whether you're a landscape photographer or portrait photographer or, you know, whatever. If, if your thing is the night sky, whatever it may be, there's going to be some kind of workshop um, or some, some speaker or some event um, that will be a great fit. And you cannot help but coming out having learned a ton. So have a look at this. Welcome to Chemistry Podcast, episode 121 from the Photography Show 2022. We've got all the brands here. We've got DJI over there. Um, we've got Vanguard, Sony, Canon behind us, Nikon over there. Uh, it's going to be an amazing show. There's loads and loads and loads to see, to learn, to touch. Um, it's going to be an amazing show. So I'm going to take you through. We're going to have a look at some uh, some of the stuff on offer here. I'm going to have a chat with loads of people because lots, uh, lots of our former guests are here, lots of friends of the show. And uh, it's going to be an amazing episode to look forward to. So I'm here with Kaylee Greer. Kaylee, how things? So good. Oh my gosh. This is my first time ever at the photography show and I'm loving it. There's so much energy. There's so much going on. And I love that. And after two years-ish, two plus years of being stuck inside, I'm a massive extrovert. So I'm always looking for somebody to talk to. <laughs> so it's been amazing just to be around so many like-minded people and everybody's passionate about the same thing. And it's just so beautiful and inspiring to be here amongst all these creatives. So you're doing a number of um, talks at a photography show. Tell me what you're talking about. Okay, so the first, well, actually, I'm doing one, like, really big official one. Um, and that is on the super stage. It's crazy. I'm so excited. That's on Tuesday. And that's called The Secrets to Capturing the Best Dog Photos Ever. Ta -da! I hope I don't, like, blow it up to be too much. It's got to really, like, 
It's really going to live up to the name. It's going to deliver. Um, so that's on Tuesday, and I'm so excited about that. And then I've been doing book signings at my publisher, Rocky Nook's booth. Um, and then I just did a live um, podcast interview with uh, Dave Clayton and Glenn Dewis from He Shoots, He Draws podcast. That was a ton of fun. I've never done a podcast live, so I'm pretty happy with that. And uh, now I'm just chilling, hanging out. So you've just been doing a number of um, uh, workshops up in Scotland. Did you come directly from Scotland down here? Or? Actually, I had a little break first. I was home for like about a month or so before this. And then after this, I'm going to Spain for another set of workshops. Um, and I have like five days at home before I turn around and come right back overseas. So, but I had to go home to see my dogs. I got to give them a big squish because they've been very patient waiting for me this whole year of my weird, wild adventures. <laughs> How many dogs have you got? I'm two. And they're the lights of my life. They are so magical. I can't stand it. They teach me what it is to be good. They teach me about joy every day. They teach me how to be a good human, how to forgive, how to love. And they truly fill up every moment of my life with yellow sunshine. One of their two rescue dogs, um, two rescued pit bull mixes. And one of them only has three legs. And so she teaches me a lot about resilience and, and forgiveness, like I said, because she went through some hard stuff before I met her, which is how she lost her leg. Um, so she, she really is um, kind of like my little personal dose of magic every day. Are they used to modeling for you already? Yeah, yeah, they're really, really used to it. And lucky for me, they're both absolute monsters for treats. So they love treats so much. They're happy to do quite literally anything as long as I bring some like pepperoni or beef jerky or peanut butter. So my dog is completely toy motivated. He doesn't give a damn about about treats whatsoever. But as soon as you got a tennis ball, he would do anything. That's amazing. So so often I find that in like border collies and, and breeds like that, where they're like so they actually couldn't, you know, like you said, give a damn about about food, which is interesting. And sometimes when I get on location for like a big job and my dog model doesn't like treats and I find that out pretty quickly at the beginning, I like internally panic and go, Oh my god, how am I gonna do this today? <laughs> It's so hard, but if they love a ball or a toy or something else, then you can kind of use that in place of treats. So that's cool. As long as they like something, we're good. So my daughter, who's 11, who's who loves dogs and loves photography and inspired by your book, has decided that she wants to be a photographer, apparently. Um, she got this little squeaker thing that works like a treat on our dog. So she squeaks it once and he stands her attention straight away. Do you use like similar tricks? Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. She already knows. See, she's going to be a star. Um, yeah, that's a huge one is the little squeakers that go like inside the dog's toys. Those are like meant to emulate prey, right? Like, um, you hate to think of it, but like prey and distress. So, so taking those out of the, out of the speed, well, you can leave them in the toy, but it makes it a little easier as you're photographing to just use the little squeaker. Um, that is an awesome way to do it. And then if they don't respond to that, you could try weird stuff like a harmonica or, um, sometimes they use like like hunting calls, like calls that they use for like duck calls and rabbit calls and stuff like that. Makes you blow it. Yeah, yeah, you blow into them. Exactly right. Um, and if not that, then you can use your own voice. You can do like weird stuff with your voice. You can bark. You can burp, burp, burp. And you can kind of build up like, you know, kind of thing. And as you, as you get higher in pitch, you get those like head tilts, you know what I mean? And that stuff is so endearing in photography. So you can't worry about looking like an idiot in front of lots of people when you're photographing dogs. I think as my, my dog would attest to that, I always look like an idiot in front of him. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. The nice thing about dogs is they don't judge you and they always love you, no matter what, even after they've seen you naked. <laughs> well, <laughs> not too sure about that. But if you, if, if you had one tip for somebody who wants to get into photographing their pet, if you had one tip, what would it be? 
make it a positive experience. I know that sounds like really cliche and kind of boring, but the thing about it is like often I'll meet people and they're like, oh, my dog like hates the camera. They always say that. My dog gets, you know, whenever I take out my phone, he immediately like turns away. And there is a reason for that. It's very common because people make it really stressful for the dog the second they take the, the phone or the camera out. They want something out of the dog. And so they get a little bit like their energy gets a little bit like tense and they get frustrated if the dog doesn't work for them quickly. It's kind of like with your own child, right? Like you get more frustrated with your own kid than you would with someone else's kid, right? So with your own dog, it's the same way. You have to have a ton of patience and you make it super positive because usually people make it kind of negative for them. They go, oh no, here comes that box that makes my life heck for a minute, right? Because my owner goes like, look, 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 fluffy, 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 look. And it's just, it's too much. The energy's bad. So you take out the phone and then you immediately cover it in treats. And then you say like happy things like, oh, we're going to go do like we're going to have a photo shoot. And you're like, raise your voice up and you just make it like the heavens are going to open up and treats are going to pour into their open mouths. I do. I think that's generally when it comes to um, your dog behavior, it's generally a thing that your energy really reflects on a dog. I've just recently um, got my dog used to having his teeth brushed and he was terrified at first. And now that we've turned it into a game, into a fun experience, he loves it. He just basically every evening, because apparently we have to brush his teeth every evening. I don't know why, but that's the thing. Um, sort of vet says anyway. But um, but he now loves it. It's like a game to him. And it's really just because we changed our energy, I think. Exactly. You're 100% right. It's like you know a little bit about like dog training and dog body language. And I always say, by the way, your dog must have the cleanest teeth in all of Germany. Well, <laughs> that's pretty good. Every single night. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think I always say that anybody who's trying to get into like dog photography or pet photography, if they have a training and animal training background, they have a huge leg up on the rest of us. They already have like 50 percent of what they need to be successful at the job. The thing is like that really translates into portrait photography as well, because as a portrait photographer, I know that if I can connect with the human in front of me, then it's going to make everybody's life um, easier. You know, the client will have an easier uh, experience and it's going to be more fun and the results are going to be better. That's exactly right. I mean, you're, you're, you're hitting that nail right on the head. It's the same thing. It's like you want to make your subject comfortable in front of the camera. And with dogs, the added challenge is that they don't speak English. You know what I mean? But it's the same idea. It's like connecting with them, letting them give you like parts of their personality, not necessarily trying to like manhandle that out of them, but letting them deliver it to you. And, and that's, I think, the difference between, you know, when you see work maybe of, of pet images that maybe looks a little forced or the pet maybe looks slightly uncomfortable, it's because I think something was kind of trying to be like physically really drawn out of the animal rather than being patient enough to wait for them to give it to you, which is very similar to a human portrait subject. Absolutely. At the end of, at the, end of the day, we're all animals, too. That's how I see it. <laughs> Haley, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, thank you for giving us some time, and uh, hopefully we'll see you on the podcast for a full episode soon. Yes, I think so. We're going to make that happen, definitely. I'm so excited. Great. That's Katie Greer. We'll see you soon. See what the cat dragged in? Which cat? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you remember that one? Same as last year, yeah. Of course. How you doing? I'm here with Tommy Reynolds. Tommy, it's great to see you at the show again. Great to see you, man. Great to see you. So you've been doing some talks. I have, yes. I've been doing a mixture of talks on external stages and obviously working on the Pixpro stand, which weren't here last year, so I'm glad that they're back here. So I'm doing a mixture of demos and uh, talks as well. So what, what were you demoing at the Pixpro stand? Uh, so they've got some brand new products this year. So they've got some flat hack softboxes, which we've been playing around with. 
They've got a brand new optical snoot as well. So we've been having fun with uh, those brand new modifiers on the Victoria Sands. Yeah. What were your talks about? The talks, I'm giving a couple of talks on the Turning Pro Masterclass stage, talking about the realities of going pro. So a few years ago, I spoke about maybe the uh, the, ro- the, the, the all singing, all dancing nature of becoming a freelancer and how good it can be. But realized I didn't really talk about any of the realities of what really happens behind the scenes. So I hope it didn't, it didn't, it was a negative point in a negative way, but more empowered people to stop them making any naive decisions that maybe I made at grow, growing into it. So yeah, it was talking more about the realities of going pro. I'm talking on the photo live stage, doing a demo there about, about Woodray. And I'm doing one more on the photo live stage, talking about video specifically for photographers. So the introduction and how you can utilize it as not only a marketing tool, um, but also it's just a great thing to have and you don't need to have it in, have it in manual mode. You can shoot great content, even if it is in auto. Fantastic. Or well, the other thing that's new compared to last year is of course you've become a father. I have become a dad. Yeah, he's five months old already. It's gone so quick, so quick. <laughs> Did you find it? Like, how, how, do you, how do you find it dealing with having, you know, a newborn or having a toddler around and trying to do, you know, trying to get all your photography work in, editing and all the rest of it? Um, well, taking this in particular, the show in particular, I had a wedding the day before the first day. Uh, so I shot that, went home, did, did my daddy duty, um, helped with the night feed and then got to bed about two, woke up at three, was in the, on the road back again at four to get here. So I didn't have much sleep that night. But in general, yeah, it's, uh, I thought I had my time management skills down, but when, as you all know, when, uh, when you become a dad, you, you, you've got, you, you've got to have it down. And I was actually talking about that very thing during my turning pro talk about the realities of going pro and talking about how becoming a dad, you, you really have to nail it. So yeah, now, now I almost treat my job, even as a freelancer, like a nine to five job. Um, and then once I'm done, I am done. I am with my family. I'm with my boy. And finding that, finding that harmony, that, that work-life balance. It's really easy as a creative to get to that point where you end up working 24-7. But when you have the responsibilities of, you know, of a child or a family in general, it's so important to just limit that, you know, and, and concentrate on spending time with your loved ones. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think, again, finding that work-life balance, it was my last slide in my tool, find it the key to success i used to think i used to think the key to success was progression i had that mentality before i we moved into a home before i was married before i had a kid which was only two years ago by the way all of those things i've done so much growing up in that time but even on the stages i said the key to success is progression if you're not progressing you're not succeeding but now i don't believe that is right i think that's the wrong mentality as you said where you can easily work 24 hours and neglect your family your friends so now I believe the key to success is harmony and finding that work-life balance, which, as we know, is so important. Absolutely. What is the one thing that you're looking forward to the most when coming to the photography show? Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say about George, about, about <laughs> my boy growing up. <laughs> okay. Uh, obviously, the social element, of course. It's so nice to finally put names or faces to names that you've seen who you might be following online or they've been following you. Yeah. This is the one thing in the calendar that I just loved. I love to come to. It's my favorite thing. I love just meeting up with new people and old friends as well, of course. Um, definitely the social element is my favorite part. Fantastic. So for all of you, you know, if you're thinking about coming to the photography show, remember that it's not just about the latest gear, the latest lenses, the latest camera bodies. It's really all about meeting people. Tommy, 
thank you so much for talking to us. And I'm sure we'll have you on the show in the not too distant future. Thank you so much, man. Take care. Remember, listen to the audio version when you're driving. So I'm here with Sean Elizabeth. Sean, I've just watched your talk and it was incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming and being in the audience. So I was quite nervous to get up there, but I think it went pretty well. So happy with that. This is your first time speaking at the photography show? It is my first time at the photography show. I have done some online um, learning sort of platforms before, but this is my first in-person experience. So, yeah. Were you nervous? I was, yeah. But but good to see friendly faces there. So ease those nerves a bit more. It was an, it really was a, an amazing talk. I really didn't know what to expect at all. Can you just give us sort of a brief synopsis of what you were talking about? So my talk today was on living with chronic illness as a photographer. Um, and I know there's quite a few people who have suffered like long COVID or have chronic pain. Um, I personally have ME and endometriosis and I kind of wanted to raise a bit of awareness around that. But how I've also adapted and changed things in my life to be able to still do photography. It's really amazing to see how you've how you've totally adapted to your you know condition. Um, and I also love the fact that you're shooting from home, which is exactly what I do. Yeah. It saves so much money as well. And it's like the comfort of your own home, your safe space. And yeah, it's brilliant. Awesome. Um, is this your first time at the photography show in general? No, I've been here quite a few times over the years. I can't remember what it used to be called, but I was there for that one. So it must have been at least, you know, maybe 10 years ago or something. I don't know. But um. No, I, I missed last year's, unfortunately, and of course, then before the, the pandemic. But um, no, I love the photography show and meeting up with everyone um, from all over the world. So, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. What's the thing that you look forward to the most when you come to the photography show? Definitely meeting up with friends. Um, so sometimes it's the only chance we get to actually have a huge meet up with all of us photographers. So um, the social, social aspect is brilliant for me. Um, and also seeing incredible work here and buying new gadgets, which you probably shouldn't be spending lots of money. So yeah, it's all, it's all good fun. What have you bought? Um, well, I haven't bought it yet, but I need a new tripod because I kind of broke my last one. Um, and what else do I need? There is something else I've forgotten, but the tripod's the main one at the moment. So that's on my list. Yeah. I rocked up with, with a sling bag yesterday, carrying all my gear around with me. And by the end of the day, my shoulders were killing me. So I went straight into investing into a new backpack. Well, brilliant. Actually, yes, a new backpack. I need a new backpack because I've got my zips on the other one are broken. So tripod backpack. Yeah, there you go. It's a bit dangerous when you come to the summer show and you've got all of these uh, you know, exhibitors here. But is there anything you can you can think of is on show and for sale? Yes, it's a, it's a problem. I mean, you have credit card and credit card. You're like, well, should I? You know, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's once, once a year. Um, and just why not? Treat yourself. So what if you've got plans um, in the future? Uh, in the future, so I actually have, uh, from my talk, I introduced some images that I did of some cold water swimmers. And since doing that personal project, I've been asked to do an exhibition of that work and potentially do a book on it as well. So that's kind of the next stages for me. And uh, yeah, keep shooting basically as much as, as much as I can. And of course, coming on the Camera Sake podcast, clearly. And that, oh, actually, we're going to do a shootout with creepy heads. Ooh, yes. <laughs> creepy head shootout. You heard it here first, but it will be coming. Sean, thank you very much for talking to us and I'm looking forward to seeing you on the show in a little while for a full episode. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me on the show. <laughs> thank you. So that was the Photography Show 2022 in Birmingham at the NEC. The next show, incidentally, is going to happen in 2024. It's going to be, I think, in March 2024. Um, so there's no show in 2023, but it's going to be back in full swing in March 2024. Uh, put it in your diary now because I'm certainly going to be there and it'd be great to see as many people as possible. And remember, it's a, such an amazing opportunity to learn, to meet people, to try out things. Um, it's really the best opportunity we get over here in the UK. So 
keep it down there. Anyhow, now, that was the show just gone. Um, the week after that, I decided to meet up with Dave Williams once more um, and the van Coffee Fernway, of course, because he was uh, starting to prepare for his latest adventure in the Arctic. And so uh, I thought it was a great uh, opportunity to catch up. And he told me, well, he told me a lot about the Northern Lights and how to how to photograph the Northern Lights, um, the Aurora. It, I always thought it was really quite tricky, but I never really understood very much about the Northern Lights. Um, so that was a bit of an eye-opener. Um, incidentally, if you are interested in photographing the Northern Lights or learning about it, Dave's written a book, um, which you can which you can find out you can find out about on his website idavewilliams.com, um, or I'll put a link in the description as well. It's a super super interesting read. So we're here. Um, in, is this Hertfordshire or Buckinghamshire? It's just on the border, right? Right on the border. Tring is there. Hemel Hempstead is there. I think maybe Buckinghamshire, yeah. I think. Yeah. We're in the British countryside. In the countryside. Just enjoying the last few sunny days, I guess. It was really cold this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went out on the Vespa this morning. Did you? Yeah, I did. Um, which may have... have your big coat on. Um, yeah, I'm kind of sort of, you know, bikered up in that area. Right. right. But it's the leather. Yeah. On the Vespa. Oh, yeah. What's wrong with you? <laughs> hey, that's what we were taught. Vespa riders don't wear leather. <laughs> well, now they... Maybe a, a leather waistcoat. Is it a waistcoat? It's not, is it? Well, you know, that thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of the cold, so, you know. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Weird for a German-Canadian. That's very true, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I grew up in the south of Germany. What can I say? Okay. Well, it's nice and warm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, you just... Essentially, you're just passing through on the way back from the photography show. So yeah, we exactly. take this opportunity and hook up yeah. um, and enjoy, you know, enjoy some sunshine. So by the time the episode goes out, I'll be down in Dorset. And uh, after that, I, I want to go north in the UK if I can, because the Northern Lights, um, we're, we're approaching solar maximum. You know, I've written a book about the Northern Lights, right? We can plug it and stuff. <laughs> so everyone can go and buy it if you're interested in the Northern Lights. Well, I mean, in fact, you're... Um, your latest book was was one of the reasons why I thought it'd be a good idea okay. to get together and talk about right. the Eiffel Tower. But we'll do that in a we'll, second. We'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So the the Northern Lights, um, the complete aurora guide for travelers and photographers. Look it up on Amazon. Um, the 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 sun runs in a roughly eleven year cycle, and at the moment we're all the, almost at the top. So we're almost at solar maximum, which is going to happen next year. Um, but because we're on the way up, and the activity is really really strong. We've, had loads of geomagnetic solar storms. There's also some interesting stuff happening with the Earth's magnetic field, because I don't know if you see the Earth's magnetic field moves, and it's moving a lot right now, like really a lot. But when we were at school, it would have been in the textbooks, it would have been north of Hudson Bay. We're way beyond that right now. <clears throat> so because of all these interesting things that are happening with the sun and with the Earth's magnetic field, the northern lights are crazy. So after Dorset and before LA, Adobe Max, which is in a month, from now i want to try and get to the top of scotland if i can um i keep an eye on the weather and the northern lights and see what i get cool now i watched the core where the earth's magnetic field gets turned off right and it has to be restarted yeah by sending a spaceship drill thing into the core <laughs> that spaceship drill thing <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um doesn't happen isn't ever going to happen <laughs> right so the the uh, all this stuff comes from to, to drive the Northern Lights, all the stuff comes from the sun. The stuff is plasma. It's made of uh, helium. It's helium plasma. Plasma is a state of matter uh, in between um, gas and liquid. It's neither one nor the other. It's a fourth state of matter. 
the other one being solid, of course. Um, that comes and it comes from massive ejections or explosions from the sun. Some of it's pointed at us and gets drawn into our magnetic field. And the reason we have a magnetic field is because we have an, have an iron core in the middle of our planet. And the, the mere presence of that iron core is the gravity, is the magnetism. So that that is rubbish. It's never going to happen. We never need to reset it. But it does move. It's, it's a good movie, for guess. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right, there we are. Episode 122. Now, my next favorite moment really happened earlier on um, in the year, in episode 90, where we discussed how to shoot bands. Because Nick and I went to, uh, to photograph a band and we shot a whole bunch of um, behind-the-scenes material which uh, was part of that episode and I really enjoyed that shoot. That was definitely one of my my favorite moments, so I have a look at it now. So the idea for this shoot is um, there's actually, we're shooting three different setups. So one is a wide setup, like a wide angle off the exterior of the shop, looking into the actual workshop. And so we've got some Harleys and some Triumph and a bunch of really cool motorcycles um, going around here. So we're gonna place all of that. Uh, we're gonna set up the interior a little bit. And after that, we're going to go inside, go do another setup inside our workshop um, before we'll do just a, you know, pretty regular kind of group portrait type of thing of the band um, indoors. That's it for now. The idea is we're fixing this bike. Right, the guys are waiting outside impatiently. We've got to fix this bike. So as we're doing this, we don't want to look at the camera, but we want to engage with each other. You obviously know when I press the shutter button because you hear the beep and you see the lights flash. Every time, every time the light goes, change one thing. Okay. So change your head. So if you change your head, don't change your hands. If you want to change your hand, don't change your head. Okay. Does that right. make sense? Just one thing at a time. Okay, here we go. Ready? It's the hardest thing in the world to do this, <laughs> I assure you. You'll warm up after a while. Why do I hate you? Because you love it when I ask you to operate the pawn, right? <laughs> it's a pawn, babe. <laughs> Excellent. Let's go. Loving it. Okay, loving ready? It, loving it, loving it. This is the fun part that nobody ever tells you about, which is the loading and unloading. I've never seen you unload in your life. <laughs> okay, what are you doing? We've gone from low to a higher angle. That's what we're doing. <laughs> the sun is still Because uh, decisiveness is my strength. Every time. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool, perfect. Okay, bring your chin up. Okay, turn your head this way. That's it, cool, hold it exactly like that. I'm supposed to wear a patch on my good eye. Little 35 manual, pick that for nothing. Beautiful. 2.8 as well. You can use it? Nine, it's easy. Works perfectly, man, it looks great. Really? I'm actually wondering whether I'm gonna use that today. Do it. Yeah, so manual focus, sir. And we're gonna be huddled around this bike. Right. And it's gonna be like some musical bits around somewhere, um, but we, that means we're going to have to bring the lights to approximately, probably here. Right. Um, I just need a little bit of space if we can move stuff around. So if we move this bike out, and then we can probably move this back a little bit. Okay. If I see a take that I like. Oh, you're just going to make a note of the number, okay. Malcolm in here. Malcolm needs to strip off, mate. Malcolm! The whole idea basically is, you know, we don't really know what the hell's going on. All what we're doing, because we're like the 
<laughs> so there's a lot of like we're solving the problem. Yeah. There's yeah. a problem. The problem right. is just there. Yeah. yeah. And go. Let's do one really nice one. And go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> Always wanted to be in a band. There you mm. are now. <laughs> yeah. Down the lens, yes. Make sure we don't have any. Well, I think we have a look. I think we can. Now, shooting bands and concert photography, we'll come back to that in a little while. But for now, we're going to move on to my next favorite moment and that was uh, episode 103 where we interviewed none other than the adobe guru russell preston brown now again one of these one of these moments where you kind of think well that's incredible because i've seen this person for, you know i followed this person for years and years and years and uh you know followed followed his um adobe photoshop teachings and, and all the rest of it and i've learned so much from him and to actually uh, then have an opportunity to to interview Russell was absolutely amazing and it was so much fun. It's a really fun episode, um, episode 103. Have a look. In the beginning of the pandemic, I was interviewing people and now we're at the end. Is this really the end of the pandemic? Mm, well, the is end? it? We'll see. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting interviewed. <clears throat> so yeah. I, I was trying to remember the other day what Photoshop version I started on. And it, it there, was, there's a question you should ask before that. Was that was it? A legal or a, an illegal version uh, of Photoshop. Oh, uh, well. Very good, Nick. I, I, I I'm glad never, you asked that question. I will yeah. neither confirm nor deny it. This was CS. <laughs> oh, no, it's, wait, it's before CS. Oh, before so CS. So I started on Photoshop before before CS. So it must have been, I, I want to say it was Photoshop 4. Can you imagine uh, how long it took to download that stuff back then? Uh, it, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't only, it wasn't only... Was it worth it? Well, it wasn't, no, you, you didn't download it, of course, because this was, I'm pretty sure... I started Photoshop before the event of the internet, I mean, you know, to that extent. So it was DVDs or like CDs, actually. CD-ROMs, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and of course, in my case, um, you know, it wasn't only, it wasn't only the, the, the version of Photoshop, it was also s several additional bits of software that you needed to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> at the time, you know, those were days. Yes, those I, were the days. Um, I remember giving a presentation in Hong Kong once, hmm. and uh, they said, uh, "Russ, you need to really, you need to come downtown to this section of town where they sell software." <laughs> hmm. And um, they had meticulously copied all of the information about Photoshop and then made packaging and labels for it and duplicated Adobe's, uh, all of Adobe's materials and put it into a nice little CD selling for $2. Oh, in, wow. wow. $2. And you just had to cry. You think yeah. about the programmers and the time, yeah. all their time put into yeah. it. And See, I always, you know, I've, yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot, really. No, not time. that you would get this $2 version. Um, Kirsten, I'm, I'm assuming you did not get that. You, you paid at least 10 for yours. Did you? Maybe, <laughs> maybe, but you know, I mean, I kept, you know, I kept thinking about this, like really, um, you know, at the time, I mean, I mean, Photoshop must've been by far the most cop illegally copied or pirated software that so. there's I ever been. It, I think it had that, um, that honor at yeah. that time to be the most copied. 
And and, um, and I've always wondered, like, how how did I mean Adobe? Obviously, I mean everybody must have known that at the time. So how yeah. did Adobe, as a company, how did they deal with that? Mm. Um, there was certain policing for that, but you cannot make an encryption system that cannot be broken. Did I say that right? Yeah. Everything can be broken. So we did not work super hard to try and come up with a way of coming up with the perfect one. I I do remember the the one time a a 10-year-old, 12-year-old kid posted a video on how to break Adobe's encryption. And he put it up on the internet and in that case, we had to call and we end up with his mother on the phone. <laughs> and as I recall, she was quite upset that he had broken this and put it on the internet, how to, how to break Adobe software. So yeah. it's been out there, but how does Adobe deal with it? Um, as I said, there's a certain amount of policing to try and track that down in its day. Mm. But I think what we've done now is a very logical method in that we offer this new, the creative cloud and they will duplicate the creative cloud, but they don't get the updates. They'd Mm. have to duplicate each update. So you have to be Mm. connected to Adobe Mm -hmm. in order to get today's update. Mm. And so I think that and the tutorials and education, uh, I think has Mm. solved that problem. I I put myself in this position in my early days, of videos and CDs, I would use the excuse that I want to take a movie and I want to duplicate it for home use. So I duplicate the one that I've purchased Mm. on a CD and I would do that so I could run them on my television set. Mm. So I equate that to today when they've made it so easy like Adobe has to Mm. purchase it legally, there's no more reason for me to duplicate my video CDs because like Adobe, we've made it easy enough. We've eliminated a lot of that need. Don't you agree? Totally agree. And and this this is where it has all come down to for me. And I, I remember back in the day trying to download a version of CS5, I think it would have been at the time, a bit younger than Kirsten. And, uh, and it, you know, it took forever, didn't work and all that. And, you know, I'm, I'm an audio engineer as, as well. So, you know, in days gone by when I was much younger, no money. Yeah. I downloaded audio software that, you know, perhaps I shouldn't, I crashed often, all of that kind of stuff would happen. But then as companies have revised their strategy towards pricing and availability of this software, yes. there is no longer a reason. There's no reason to download it illegally uh, anymore because it yeah, is yeah. so cheap if you think about the subscription style model well, and well, the different is, versions uh, yeah. for music isn't it we, we always struggled to borrow people's music yeah. and now yeah this which so I, I think it's a good thing yes yeah. Yeah. the other I, I, me too. you know the other argument is is of course that probably i mean the fact that adobe has been copied and you know pirated um, so, so many hundreds of thousands of millions of times has probably, oh, led, you know, has probably led to it becoming, I uh, certainly helped it become the industry standard though, at that time. It's, it's a little bit like, yes, it's true, a little bit like videos true, on YouTube true. going viral. 
or like you know songs going viral or something on social media and all of a yeah. sudden they become you know it reflects it sort of reflects back in the sales you, you just, imagine that there's a thought process like that with a company like adobe but in you know in days gone by that it's a bit like leaking information from in the government and oh, things yeah. like that it gets it out there in a way that perhaps isn't the way you want to get it out there but the words there <laughs> And people yeah. get used to it. That's what they want. It drives pe people's desire to have that piece of software. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to think that you know, even in the in the colloquial tongue, you know, even even amongst people who are not graphic designers or photographers, you know, people who have actually nothing to do with image manipulation or anything like that, laymen, so to speak, still use the word photoshopping mm. yes. as a term. It's, we're trying. That's another topic in itself. Yeah. Um, I'll have to um, send the Adobe police your way if you use Oop. the term photoshopped <laughs> in Sorry. any of our conversations. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like here in the US, Xerox machines were the first way to copy something. So we say, you're going to go Xerox that, yeah. um, which is the same as saying I'm going to copy it. Hmm. So it's a two-edged sword, I think. We hear it in television and video. I'm I'm going to use Photoshop. I Photoshop that. I'm using mm. it as a, a verb, and um, it certainly gets the word out that that is the de facto standard for doing this. Mm. But legal people at Adobe just they start to cringe <laughs> because you <laughs> you cannot lose your logo, your your identity, and if it starts to get used or if you allow it to be used, mm. then it can go to court and it became the name Photoshop can be taken away from you. Right. Wow. Wow. So they're always on their guard for that mm. and watching out for those things. So, um, but it's always funny. You're sitting in a James Bond movie and what I'm going to Photoshop this, you know, it yeah. just, it pops up all over the place. It's yeah. now it just the go-to way of expressing the fact that yeah. it's been altered or manipulated. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's a topic. Yeah, there's the topic. We could just have topics forever. Yeah. You know, manipulation. I used to think of it as uh, sometimes I think I was doing evil things. I've now given that up completely. Mm. I, <laughs> I, I, I love to alter and manipulate my images, and I must yeah. admit I do it all the time. I may, as you mentioned, a mobile photographer. Mm -hmm. I think there's times when I have to sort of push things a little farther on the on the iPhone. Mm. And I'll take two exposures and blend them together. But let's go back to the famous Ansel Adams taking photographs in Yosemite here in California. Mm. He was manipulating his photographs. Oh, absolutely. And, if, and if, if Ansel were here today, I think he would be super excited about Photoshop and the 100%. possibilities. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. I, I, there are purists out there. We both, we all know purists. Mm. Um, I know one who won't even take a telephone pole out of a shot. Mm. And that's just, no, 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 no. Um, yeah. Why the heck did he photograph the telephone pole? We all wonder. Um, but, and then I was going to enter a contest the other day, a photography contest, and it said, quote, you cannot alter your images inside of Photoshop or any application on the desktop. Hmm. It said that 
altering your images on a phone with a mobile application was okay. What's Bizarre. that? <laughs> yeah. And then I, so I wrote back to them. I said, what if I use Photoshop on my iPad because that's a mobile device? Hmm. They refused to answer that no. question. Um, <laughs> so isn't that, yeah, that's sort of strange. Russell cracks me up every time. Now, moving on to episode 130 with Micah Burke, where it was all about artificial intelligence. Now, AI is one of these things that um, that's really up and coming. And some people might find it scary. Some people might welcome it. Um, it's it's a, it's a sort of a salt and pepper type of a thing. You know, you either love it or you don't. No, it's more like a Marmite type of thing. You either love it or you hate it, I guess. But um, having the opportunity to talk to Micah, uh, an AI specialist or expert, was really quite eye-opening because he actually sort of explained how it worked and, and um, you know, what, it's what it does and where it can come in really useful. And and I have to say that whilst I was probably quite, I don't know, maybe I was a little bit frightened of artificial intelligence. I was thinking like, oh, is it going to take my job away and all the rest of it? <laughs> like I'm sure, I'm sure many, many of you listening might, um, might sort of, uh, you know, follow that sentiment. But anyway, um, I have to say that uh, you'd have to speak to him. It all made a lot more sense. It was it was a really interesting conversation. It's incredible what technology has um, arrived to be able to do. It's it's just it's absolutely mind blowing. Not too long ago, this would have been you know stuff of of science fiction movies, but here we are. Uh, and yeah, it's it really is a, a mind bending, eye opening episode. Episode one hundred and thirty with Mike Burke. Check it out. The robot overlords are taking over. And artificial intelligence uh, has has been coming into the game massively over the last, I would say, probably, I don't know, may, maybe over the last year, but it seems like over the last six months, um, it's it's really uh, it's really kind of skyrocketed. I'm just thinking about, you know, the uh, the AI that that most people will probably know from the latest Photoshop and Lightroom updates. You know, um, I mean, obviously things like uh, you know content aware frill has been around for a while. But I think most recently, it's like Photoshop has really kicked it out of the ballpark as far as as far as ability of artificially creating the you know, aspects of the image is concerned. Um, how how did you first get into the whole artificial intelligence thing? Yeah, so you know, there's a little story behind that, and that's uh, back in uh, 2000, uh, 2020 when the pandemic hit. Um, you know, sort of stuck at home, uh, not able to take photographs in my favorite places. And so I, uh, I was flying my drone quite a bit and taking pictures with my drone. Um, there's only so much you can do with that in the States before people threaten you. So, um, uh, I started playing with an app called Wombo Dream and Wombo Dream made these amazing full color, colorful, um, images that, uh, I can probably throw up here and I'll show you looking at here. I'll start. So these are some of my photos from the past years that I've taken some of my landscapes. Uh, kind of give you an idea how I kind of want to draw some fantasy in there. But as I was saying, so in 2020, in early 2021, there wasn't a whole lot of photography I was able to do. So uh, I got this app called Wombo Dream and started playing with these props. And these are text prompts. And so you're typing things in. In this case, I was typing in um, uh, rainbow dancing dervish 
sari or some other, you know, uh, ethnic uh, clothing and was coming up with these amazing, very um, stylistic images, which I thought, hey, you know, these are pretty cool. You can do stuff with this. I could see I could see taking this and maybe into Illustrator and, and recreating them or taking them into Photoshop and playing with them. But as time progressed, um, I noticed that there was different ways you could manipulate the app to do different things. Um, so then I think uh, in 2021, while Dream was creating these really neat stylistic images of, of people and of artistic and uh, architecture, uh, but it wasn't really doing anything like photographic. Uh, and I was really looking for something a little more, a little stronger, a little more photographic, a little more up my alley, so to speak, as far as it goes. Um, and I found this program called Canvas by NVIDIA. Um, and Canvas is, runs on Windows, but there's also a web app called Galgan 2. And if you go and you search Galgan 2, you'll find the app. And it works just by painting on the screen and you tell it what you're painting. For example, in this case here, I'm painting, um, you know, this... Uh, sort of a field in front of an ocean and there's a road running down the middle of the field and I'm trying to recreate uh, some images I saw when I was in uh, when I visited Ireland a few years ago and I really wanted to kind of recreate sort of that, that feeling the Irish coastline and um, sure enough it does a really good job and it's producing them at about um, 1024 by 1024 and they're fairly photographic looking and you can upscale them with say topaz or whatever and they kind of look really good. So what we're what we're talking about here is really sort of the next step from let's say you know like content aware fill or object selection in Photoshop, where obviously the the software or the algorithm figures out well there's an object you know and I, this is the main subject of the image and this is what we're going to select for example here we're really artificially creating an image from scratch by telling the app or or the algorithm by using words, what it is that we want to see in the image. Exactly, yeah. So this is what's called, in this ca these cases, this is what's called, in, in the parlance of the of, of artificial intelligence, this is called text to image. Uh -huh. And so you're literally typing in text that you want to see. Um, in the example of the the uh, the second image here on the screen, it's a, it's a door, a doorway to another realm in a field of flowers, and this is what it created. And one of the cool things about the text-to-text, text-to-image uh, text uh, generators is that you can use entire sentences. You can add details about what you want to see. I want it to be a door covered in ruins, or I want it to be um, a photograph by a certain photographer, or uh, a painting by a certain painter. Um, you can come up with all sorts of wild and uh, neat creations this way. Um, the, uh, the Will Smith image there, I, I literally just typed in uh, Will Smith Slack into um, Mid Journey, and that's what it produced. Now, this was this was still early early 2020, uh, 2022. Sorry. After after that, there's a uh, sort of a, a massive evolution, just as you as you noticed, in the, just the past year, an explosion has occurred. And what's happened is, is that companies like Mid Journey and Stable Diffusion. Uh, Stability AI and the company who makes uh, Dolly 2, which is Open AI, they've added a lot of detail and information into their uh, their platforms, uh, adding more and more and more tagged images to produce even more realistic images. So back in about September of 2022, both Mid Journey and Stable Diffusion 
um, released new updates, which rather than creating these kind of cool artistic images, which you might want to play with, actually started creating photo realistic images out of the box. And that's so, that's the thing. I think that was the thing that blew that blew our minds like a few a couple of months ago when uh, you know when Dali, you know Dali was big in the news. Um, and I, re- I remember seeing some of the some of the photorealistic results, and that just completely blew my mind at the time. Yeah, these these four results here that I'm showing, um, these were all right out of Mid Journey. These were very simple prompts. Um, did a whole series of little action figures, and you can see it looks like a three dimensional object, and it's got depth of field. And again, you tell tell the again you tell the AI what you want to see, and it will produce it. And I was. Uh, starting to composite images together. At the time, I had been asked by Russell Brown, who's the uh, creative director at Adobe, to make some movie posters for an upcoming uh, presentation he was going to do at the Adobe Max class. And so I was looking for uh, pictures of um, stars like Keanu Reeves and these other people dressed as Vikings. And you can literally type in um, someone's name, like Benedict Cumberbatch, and as a Viking, and you'll actually get him dressed as a Viking. It's it's pretty insane that what you can do with it now. That's incredible. I mean, I saw I saw your uh, series of of photos of like a late night show hosts as like yeah. action figures. <laughs> yeah, I, I did a whole series. I called it I called it Real Heroes. I did little kids as action yeah. figures, and then I did a series of sort of late night talk show hosts as action figures because. Uh, I, I had seen, I think it was uh, Jimmy Kimmel was mentioning that somebody was using his image as uh, as a prompt in, in, in Mid-Journey or in Dolly, and they were coming up with some interesting stuff, but it, it wasn't that great. And so I'm like, no, you could do you could do anything with this. Um, but I think most people know that we, we're using AI more and more in almost everyday activities, especially within ph- photography and Photoshop. Um, for example, you know the the new content-aware object selection in, in Photoshop that's using AI to determine sort of the boundaries of things. And then there's there's applications like Topaz Gigapixel, which are actually able to take an image that's low resolution and blow it up yeah. using uh, artificial intelligence. And Topaz sharpening as well. In fact, yeah, Topaz sharpening AI is pretty slick. I love the yeah. uh, I love the motion blur cleanup because. Uh, <laughs> Just when you thought you got that shot and you get it home and you're looking at it, you're going, well, I missed the focus. You can okay. you can bring it back pretty good. I That saved a project of mine recently where one of the critical shots that the client wanted, you know, I looked at it on the screen and I'm like, oh, damn it. That's, it's, it's, it's so, it's so soft. I can't deliver that. And, and then I went like, wait a minute, Topaz sharpening. Let's just give that a shot. And it, I mean, I, I kid you not, I mean, it, it took three minutes i think yeah it, it's pretty impressive what you can do with it yeah i, yeah. I definitely agree that there's it, it's it's amazing i think um you know and just sort of give everybody sort of an overview of what we're talking about because we're going to start talking about how it kind of corresponds with photoshop and that's sort of thing pretty quick um just to kind of give you an idea most of these are using what's called a, a generative adversarial network and it's a pretty straightforward process where you take uh the idea like a cam you take a bunch of images of cats and you just pound in these into a database along with um, uh, sort of tagged information of what you're seeing, what kind of cat it is, what sort of the position it's in, etc. All of that information gets tagged together into the database. Um, it's then you take two separate versions of the database and you let them fight it out over once a cat. 
And the one that wins goes on to continue this sort of process of elimination until you get a better and a better and a better uh, model. Um, and that's sort of what um, Galgan and Canvas use. And it works real well for landscape images and sort of general images. It's not real good on people and that sort of thing. Um, Dolly 2 is using something called Clip, which sort of the same system. Lots of images of critters, lots of images of skateboards. We're going to throw those all into the database. And it's going to go and generate, based on that data, what your new image is. For example, you want a cat on a skateboard. Well, you don't necessarily have to put a picture of a cat on a skateboard into the database. You just have to put a cat and skateboards. And it knows how to position the cat. It knows how to do all of this. And it will create the cat on the skateboard for you. And it's sort of mind-blowing when you can type in, you know, anything and, and get some good results. So... That's sort of the basic, the way how it works. Let's see if I've got anything. Uh, I, I should show you this last this last slide here because it's kind of important. So the new method, those are sort of older generated methods. The newest method is what's called diffusion. And that's where we get stable diffusion. Um, and this is where you hear the word diffusion. And what this literally means is, and we've all done this. We've all played with this as photographers, at least those of us in Photoshop. Take an image and then turn it into just complete noise, right? Uh, just continue to add noise and add noise and add noise to that image until it's obliterated. Well, in this case, what happens is a computer will do this and then it learns to back that image up from the noise back to the original image by adding detail, adding detail, adding detail. And it can generate a brand new cat from other images of cats. So this cat never existed. This cat does not exist. This is no one's pet. This pet, let's, you know, it's, uh, there's some websites out there, you know, this beach does not exist or this person does not exist. Well, this cat does not exist. Um, it's a completely generated creature. Um, and it's, it's based on this diffusion method. So that's how mid-journey and stable diffusion kind of uh, work together. Um, so that's kind of the, the basics of AI imaging and, and how it works. Right, that was Micah Burke teaching us all about artificial intelligence. Again, if you want to see more of that, you know, just uh, head over or head down into the description. Uh, well, you can find all the links. Um, that was episode 130 with Micah Burke, AI, super interesting subject. Um, I'm, I've got the feeling we're going to be reading a lot more about AI in 2023 and 2024 because it develops so quickly. Its progress is insane when it comes to AI. Anyhow, last not least, again, this isn't in any chronological order. Um, it's episode 134 with Steve Brazel. Uh, Steve is, is one of those people... He's an amazing concert photographer, an incredible podcaster. Uh, if you don't know his podcast, Behind the Shot TV, make sure you check that out. It's, it's one of the best, uh, if not the, well, one of the best, <laughs> one of the best photography um, podcasts out there, of course. Um, it's it's an incredible show. Steve has this perfect radio voice. It really is incredible. Um, but it, it, as much fun as it was uh, to talk to him about this podcast, it was even more amazing to talk to him about concert photography. So if you, if you've ever, you know, if you ever thought, well, I might like to shoot a band or you know somebody in a comedy store or something like that, but it's really difficult because it's dark and you know people are moving around and I just don't, I, I just don't seem to be able to, you know, to get good images. I'll make sure you listen to that episode, episode one hundred thirty-four with Steve Brazel. Um, Absolutely fantastic. Uh, some great insights into how to shoot concerts um, and more. So here it is, episode 134 with Steve Brazel. Check it out. So 
first of all, thank you uh, for inflating my resume. Again, that's the second time I, since I've known you that you've inflated my resume. One was in an email. So I'll take that every moment. And from now on, you're coming with me everywhere I go. Right. Um, so two things. Number one, you mentioned, you know, your travels in music photography took you to Royal Albert Hall. One of the best music photographers on the planet today, in my opinion, is a friend of mine, actually, uh, Christy Goodwin. She's the house photographer at Royal Albert Hall, tour photographer for people like Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, um, Ed Sheeran. <clears throat> that to me is amazing photography. Her, the David Bergmans of the world. But I'll I'll take the compliment very, very gratefully. Thank you so much. It's interesting to me what you said about people saying to you often that music photography is one of the hardest. I have often said, now I'm just going to come out straight and say it, and every photographer out there of whatever genre they shoot is going to go, no, 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 I shoot the hardest genre, right? If I say music photography is the most difficult genre, a wedding photographer is going to laugh and go, no. And they're right, except they're not. Music photography has so many bizarre challenges. Yes, wedding photography is low light. Concert photography is low light. Yes, shooting fight sports is low light and action. Concert photography is low light and action. But in almost all of those cases, you don't have the one thing, the two things really in my mind that make, I'm going to get hate mail for this, I just know it, that make music photography the most difficult. A, stage clutter. It is depending on the show and there's a lot of shows that can be easy because there's a bassist a guitarist a drummer and a singer on a giant stadium stage and they're nowhere near each other and there's no stage clutter but you can have a scenario where there's a lot of people on stage and no matter what angle you get there's a mic stand coming out of somebody's head or a bass guitar sticking into somebody's you know the, the head of a bass or, or a guitar sticking into the lead singer's bass or the lead singer constantly has what I call mic nose, where they hold the mic so close to their mouth that you can't see the nose, you can't see the mouth, and at times you can barely see an eye. The challenges are immense. Again, not taking away from other genres. Wedding photography is really hard. You've got personalities to deal with. You've got low light. You have venues to deal with it, you may, etc. But... The other thing that you have in live music photography that I think makes it one of the most difficult. Every geek out there that is a photographer, and not all photographers are geeks, but every geek out there that's a photographer starts talking about, oh, well, my camera has this much dynamic range, or, you know, they look at, at reviews on DP Review. How, ma how many stops of dynamic range does it have? Your eye, no matter how you work it, your eye has more dynamic range, more stops of dynamic range capable than your camera. And at a concert, you have a lighting director whose job it is to push the limits of the human eye. Your camera can't keep up with that. There's just no way your camera can keep up with that. And the logistics of how you photograph a concert, I'll give a good example and to Troy, I apologize that I'm telling this story about you, but <clears throat> a very close friend of mine, fantastic wedding photographer, Troy Miller, fine art photographer, does infrared stuff too, 
but his primary business is wedding photography. And I took the, the old tour that used to go around the U.S. warped tour. I used to, it was one of the few times I was able to get two passes to a show because they'd have literally 72 bands playing on five, six different stages. And so I could convince them I needed two photographers for my outlet. And I took Troy, I remember the first time I took him to Warp Tour with me, here is an accomplished wedding photographer. He knows his gear without thought. Blindfolded, he can make that Z9, or at the time probably, you know, D5 or whatever, do whatever he wants instantly without thinking. I've never seen anybody more frustrated in my life. He's in the pit and he's focusing on the lead singer and boom, the lead singer's gone. And he'd wait and the lead singer would come out and he'd go up and he's focused and boom, the lead singer's gone. And he got some really good shots because he knows what he's doing. But he was so frustrated that day. And this was daylight. Like this was two o'clock in the afternoon. And he, ha and he struggled with it. I think everybody should photograph a concert at least once. It's amazing what you'll learn. And there we are. Thank you so much for listening or viewing, depending on where you are. Um, again, be reminded that if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, there's a fully-fledged Technicolor version over on YouTube. Um, now, that being said, if you're listening to uh, to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or something, do us a favor, you know, give us a, give us a star rating and uh, leave us a little... Um, a, little, a little comment because that really does help us being found. Um, same, you know, likewise on YouTube, you know, hit the like button, um, hit subscribe. Um, that'd be super useful. And, you know, leave a comment because we always love to talk to you directly. Um, check out the episodes that I've mentioned. It's it, it's in, in no way is this list complete. Uh, we've had so many amazing uh, guests on the show um, you know, it's been incredible. It's been really difficult to pick out these particular moments. Um, I love to have guests back on the show as well, so I'm sure we'll see some of those familiar faces again in 2023. And um, you know, remember, you know, send us a message, get in touch on Instagram, on Facebook. We have a Facebook group. Um, send us an email, whatever. Get in touch. That'd be super awesome. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have, and I'll see you again next Thursday. Uh -huh.